Welcome back to Build and Tinker, Episode 2. This week we'll be talking about tinkering Torah. Last week we went into building Torah, but before we get into that, I uh, want to introduce my co-host here, Russ. How's it going, Russ? Things are going really well, Nick. How have your uh, magic games been going this week? This week's going really well. Um, played some magic, getting ready to record this awesome podcast, and then we're going to play some more magic. Yeah, we started playing a Thursday night spell table game. It's really kind of helped us get an extra game of magic each week because Monday night is magic at the local shop. Um, also started playing at your house and at my house, sometimes kind of back and forth. But the spell table is really nice to kind of get an extra game in, especially late and after hours, because we typically start that game, what, like nine o'clock Eastern, kind of get in some late time, especially for anybody else that has family. Right. And it, it works out pretty well, um, especially for the guys with kids. They're able to get their kids to bed and then we can play some magic. Um, this week, we're going to be trying out the new deck that Nick built that he's going to throw you guys some spoilers on it towards the end of the podcast. Yeah, I played it once on Monday and it was it was fun. It it won. So I'm excited. Anytime the first game of a deck wins, I'm usually very excited about that. It bodes well for the deck, at least to start with. Yeah, the uh, topic for this week is Tinkering Toref. Last week, we went into how we built Toref. So the idea of the original design of the deck was to just add a large number of board wipes, wipe out your opponent's board, take that extra damage, and put it towards somebody's face. Or clear more of the board, kind of depending on what you have to do. It really focused on mass board wipes. To supplement that, we added in a number of dragons. That was just to kind of get some creatures on the board, but also dragons will typically do excess damage when they can, either with attacking, but also triggers as non-combat damage on Toraf. So, so far, I think the deck was doing pretty good. I was pretty pleased with how it came out on the first build. Um, I know you've spent a few times playing it since then, Russ. What did you think of just the original build by itself? The original build was really effective. The deck is fun. The deck plays relatively fast. The deck is capable of winning off the top of, you know, off a draw card. So it's, it, it was really strong to start with. Probably the first four or five games, there weren't really any weaknesses cropping up other than card draw, but it's mono red. So, right. Card draw and mono red is going to be an issue kind of no matter what we do. I, I will say we mentioned last week that. We got excited talking about probably building kind of a solitaire type deck where you can kill your own creatures, but I believe that is wrong. What did you find out as you were kind of digging into the deck a bit more? Well, Torov's uh, text specifically states that you can't use its, its opponent's creatures. You can't use your own creatures. Um, when we were originally building this deck out, we actually went over that and talked about it, but we got kind of excited as we were as we were talking about it last week. A token build is still a legitimate build for Torof. Um, it's a faster way to get creatures on the board. It's a way to go a little bit wide with it, but you're not going to get the payoff on Torof's text. Right. So definitely a bit of a correction and follow up on that one, but... I think overall the deck was pretty well. So now that we kind of know how we built the deck and, you know, obviously go back last week and listen to that episode if you want more details on that. What did you kind of see overall, kind of a summary of what you might want to change on it before we dive into the details? So with Toroff, our process is a little different than it's going to be on our future builds. As we said last week, when Nick gave me the Toroff deck, it had 50, 55 cards in it. And then I went in added the mana base, artifact ramp, and some creatures and some cards. 
So this approach resulted in a bit of pre-tinkering on my part. I was able to go through cards and go ahead and start switching in some items that maybe Nick would have put in, maybe not. So that kind of changed, makes this one different from what we're going to be doing in the future. Moving to the future, Nick's going to be handing off a completed deck build to me. Yeah, I think what's going to be nice about that is I hand you a full deck. And even better than that, I'm actually going to play the deck first. And I think it's going to do two things. One, it'll let you see what it's like to play against the deck. But also, it'll let me see how well the deck played on day one and kind of give me some something to talk about, something to kind of think about and help improve my own deck building and not just rely on that feedback. So, well, this one, you're right. It was a little bit different. I gave you most of the cards and you still had a, you were able to add a bit of your flavor into it. Going forward, it's going to be a hundred percent cards that I own and I'm going to hand to you. And I think that's going to be a very interesting way to kind of see both sides of the deck, one play against it, but then actually play the deck and play the deck multiple times and tweak it. And probably I would like to get a deck or sorry, a game in with that tweaked deck as soon as you finish it and kind of see what it's like and how it feels after all the changes you made. So I I think it's going to be a little bit more, I'll say, refined process going forward and a little bit easier to kind of get things moving a bit faster, probably. Right. We're growing with this process. So on to Toroff. And what I kind of wanted to do was kind of break it down into a few parts that brought that came together as the deck was being played and as the cards were coming out. Um, there were a couple of really big surprises. Uh, two items really that that I wasn't expecting when I first started playing the deck. Um, one is a really awesome accidental infinite damage combo utilizing Chandra's Incinerator. And basically the text of that card is, whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, Chandra's Incinerator deals that much damage to target creature or planeswalker that player controls. What we discovered is if your opponent has a indestructible creature and Toroff's on the field and you do overrun damage to that creature, you convey it over to its player, that creature is now a 0-0 because it was indestructible. Chandra's going to turn around and do that same damage again. And then that damage is going to infinitely compile upon itself because the damage is overrun done to the done to the player, back to the creature, to the player, back to the creature, and back to the player, which was kind of a really neat unintended combo that we found in the middle of the game. Right. It's a good, I'll say, single player removal because you Chandra's Incinerator does say you have to target a creature that that player controls or that opponent controls rather. And because of that, the only the player with the indestructible creature can kind of be killed off of this combo, but it was still really neat to kind of come across that. And as long as we stacked everything correctly, we believe that's how it plays out. We are not judges. We haven't asked a judge on this, but you know, we, we do know effectively that the card goes down to zero when it takes enough damage. And if it takes more damage from that, that is just considered excess damage off a of Toraf. So we believe it's right. If anybody out there knows or you know believes that we are wrong, please let us know. Reach out to us. Let us know, and uh, we'd love to have that discussion with you guys. Excellent. And then the next big surprise. Um, this was my first experience with mono in Commander. I was kind of worried about mana ramp, and this deck actually comes out to have some interesting outside of artifact ramp going on. Um, it has the ability with multiple cards to store mana, store mana as well as ramp it. Some of it is creature-based. Neheb the Eternal 
Neheb has at the beginning of post-combat main phase, add red mana to your pool for each life your opponent's lost this turn. There's also Horizon Stone, which is now going to be able to convert that leftover mana from Neheb. It's going to turn it colorless, but we're going to be able to keep that unspent mana, um, which works great for the X spells that are in the deck, um, as well as the creature costs on some of those really big dragons. Um, then another card that we added in was Bergi, God of Storytelling which is whenever you cast a spell at a red mana until the end of your turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases ends. And she also has the additional text of creatures can boast twice, but I believe there's only one actual one creature in the deck that does have the boast ability. So those have actually come in, become key in several of the games with the deck where because these dragons are expensive because of the X spells being able to carry over mana and hold it is really beneficial to this deck. Yeah, that's that was very surprising to see that, and and I was amazed at a couple of the games how you were man, you managed to get you know ten mana and then carry it over, and every time we would you, you'd cast a spell, you would hit us for damage, get five mana off of Neheb. You had Horizon Stone out, so that just became colorless. Carried over to the other to the next turn, or even better, as an instant spell on one of the next turns, you were able to have some of that mana stored up and cast it. That was. That was quite crazy. I didn't expect to see that in red. I know the cards are there. I've never seen them kind of go off that much before. But given the fact that you were trying to store a lot of this mana and keep it, it was really useful and honestly kind of exciting to see because red is does not have a lot of ways to ramp. And this kind of is, a like you kind of said, a storage or a, a mana cache, for lack of a better term, to kind of hold on to some of that. I do think there was some other ramp on here, specifically with like treasures and artifacts, something that red does do that you were able to add in and kind of I know for sure did some work. So the one card that I added that was really useful, and we kind of touched on this in, in the previous podcast, was utilizing the combination of Curse of Opulence, having all the players building up gold, which is an artifact, um, and then bringing in the Dockside Extortionist and counting up all that gold and, and pulling in treasures. I was able to get him out in two different games. Both times he did work, which is really important for a card that costs that much yeah that was very interesting to kind of see and obviously not dockside that's very powerful but one the combination of the two when you're forcing your opponents to attack another opponent one that provides you some protection on toraf but two you're getting a treasure they're getting a treasure and then bring down dockside and boom suddenly you're getting three four five mana uh, just because your opponents are attacking each other and not you which was surprising. And that mana came in very handy as the game went on, especially to kind of wrap it up at the end and cast some of those instant spells or the larger, as you mentioned, X spells or even get a dragon on board. All of that was was very successful, I'll say, in some nice combos to find in. Unfortunately, not a lot of tutors in red. So I don't know if it's something you can rely on, but right there, we just listed off five or so cards that kind of give you some form of ramp. And knowing that it's in red, that's probably about as good as you're going to do Maybe a few other cards we can add in there, but five, I think, is a pretty good number to start with. You'll see at least one of those every game if, you know, things are all equal. Right. And so that, those were some of the two of the big surprises in this deck. Then kind of wanted to speak really quickly to the strengths of the deck. Toroff keeps the game moving. There's, there's very rare, rarely a lull. Toroff is always a threat which is great because it makes the deck interactive. You have to be paying attention to what's going on the board. You have to politic a little bit too, 
you know, you get Toroff out and if you can't protect him, then uh, your your opponents are going to are going to mow him down if you can't find ways to sell that Toroff needs to stay on the board, which is one of the big weaknesses. How do you protect Toroff? He has to be protected not only from the other players, but himself. Yeah. And I think you you added in a couple of interesting cards to kind of start with there, right? So you, I know obviously sorry, Swift Foot Boots and Lightning Greaves were both two of the staples. You know, one, it's just don't really have to explain those cards. Everybody should know what they kind of do if you're playing Commander. But those staples just go in this deck and they are probably very critical. But as you mentioned, there was a couple of others that you found that really kind of help either make him indestructible or protection. So I was after the, I guess it was the fourth game when everyone decided that murdering Toroff was the best possible plan. I thought to myself, well, what can I do to protect Toroff? So I pulled up the internet (laughs) and did some research and was kind of not coming up with a lot. So I went to my binders and started flipping through and there sitting um, was the Hammer of Nizan. And I thought, oh, wow, how did I forget this card? Um, so I, I tinkered in the Hammer of Nizan, which I put it in, shuffled the deck, and the first two games afterward it came out. So that always makes you feel good when you put in you know, a, a card like that and then it, it rolls out and it does work. So that was that was really exciting. Then the next question is, well, if I can make him indestructible, can I give him protection from red? If I can protect him from red, all my big board wipes are going to essentially wash off a Toroff. And again, since we're in red, we kind of have to roll back to equipment. Um, the Sword of Sinew and Steel is an equipped creature gets two plus two plus two and has protection from black and protection from red. And it gets kind of nasty because if the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, he's also going to be destroying a is going to destroy a planeswalker or an artifact. We can't forget Toroff's a big creature. Um, he's five four, so he's 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 always a threat for the combat step as well. Yeah, I was going to say real quick that's that's an interesting aspect because I know more than once I was able to attack you, and Toroff being five four is is a pretty sizable blocker on his own. It's it's going to be hard to kill him at that much life and he's likely going to take somebody out with him. So just pumping him up with any sort of equipment, especially anything that saves him from himself, frankly, will be really good and kind of really nice to have. And if he does get in and do commander damage, you know, one sword, one hammer of Nizan, you're in there getting seven each swing. And that's only a few swings to do commander damage to get somebody out. I have not gone with that yet, but I definitely would love to try it. The flexibility there was again something I was very surprised at because he's he is pretty pretty beefy from his uh, five four stats. Going on off of protection, one of the things I know that we had talked about early on was card draw, and it is really hard to find card draw in red. I think some of the lands had card draw in there. We maybe had a couple of other ways to kind of cycle your cards. Uh, what did you find? Any anything there that might have been able to change? Well, I have I had a small pile of cards and finding the cards that I wanted to take out to replace with two or three draw cards was a little more difficult than I thought it would be because a lot of the red draw is draw to discard one or, you know, things of that nature. And I didn't really want to put in a wheel. I didn't want to be discarding my whole hand and drawing up. What I did add 
which two cards really isn't going to make a huge difference over time. But one of them is one of the dual modal cards, uh, Valakut Awakening, which I think is a great card. I don't see a reason not to have that in decks with red. Um, the text on that is put any number of cards from your hand onto the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one. It's a it's two and a red. It's a fairly inexpensive card, and if your hand is trash, it's a good way to roll it out. And if not, you can play it for its land side, and it's a mountain that comes in tapped. So it's a super useful card. Yeah, that one, that's definitely something that's going to put in. I think it's easy enough to replace a mountain with it, so you don't even really lose a spot. Because I believe I mentioned last time that the modal dual-faced cards, I like to just plop those in in place of a land. Because you can effectively make them a land if you need to. But later in the game, it will just get you some card draw. Um, I see another one you you put in here was Risk Factor, which is two and a red instant. Target opponent may have Risk Factor deal four damage to them. If that player doesn't, you draw three cards, and then it has Jumpstart. So you get to do it twice. Right, which I think is, is, is what makes it effective, uh, being able to pull it back out. And if it's late, if it's later in the game, you're going to have, you will have done damage. And most players aren't going to want to risk another four damage on top of it because those first four or five turns, I'm not going to need to draw. It's going to be that turn eight, nine, 10, when a lot of damage has been dealt and they don't want to take the damage. They'd rather you draw the cards. Most of the time. It's kind of funny. Yeah. We were, we were talking about card draw and i think my comment to you was if you run out of cards but don't win it's probably too late um which is a little bit a little bit cheeky a little bit unfair but it is kind of how red has to go you you either win fast and burn everybody down or you probably won't win because there is just so hard to get card draw but risk factor is neat especially i think if you get damage doublers or the damage tripler out there nobody's gonna want to take eight to the face or 12 to the face so they're rather than let you have those three cards especially if they can negotiate with you. Uh, you know, hey, if I don't take it, you know, don't 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 send the next wave of Toraf damage at me. You know, send it over there, send it somewhere else. And it becomes another negotiating tactic to try to draw some cards. I actually, I like that a lot. That's a very nice card to add in. And, and as I said, there's still a pile of, of draw cards that I'm trying to decide if I, I want to put them in or not. So, but we can also talk about the cards that didn't work. A yes. card that I thought was going to work and I thought was going to be awesome that ended up not doing much of anything was Magda, Brazen Outlaw. Magda is the new dwarf who can tap dwarves to gain treasure. And once she has five treasure, she can spend those five treasure to bring out a dragon or an artifact. She just never worked out timing-wise. There's no other dwarves in the deck. So, I mean, really, she it seems like a way to cheat out these dragons, but it just really didn't work for me. I put that one in. One, it was new and shiny, and I thought this would be kind of fun. It may have been a bit of a dream scenario of let's get Magda out with Dockside and Curse of Opulence, and bam, you're you know, generating this mana and getting a lot of treasures, and you're able to cheat out these big dragons that you already have. But you're right. Without the dwarves, if, if Magda's not in a dwarf deck, I don't know that she does anything, to be honest. I don't know that she actually works very well. So I think that definitely was a good one to pull out. What, what else did you find that might be worth taking out of the deck? Um, so shared animosity was one that I pulled shared animosity is a great card, but I never have enough creatures that the plus one is going to really help. Yeah. That's one where I, I went in kind of thinking lots of dragons on the board. Anything you can add damage to is going to be excess for Toroth, but you're right. 
dragons are just too expensive and you don't have enough of them at any one time, I think, to make it valuable. Right. And then the other dragon uh, pump slash anthem that's in the deck, Crucible of Fire, um, that's kind of on the cut list um, just because I never really had more than two dragons out at a time. Or if I had more than two, it was because I, I was generating a token dragon. I think it's a great card. I think in the right circumstance, it could work, but it's not making the deck work better. It's too slow, right? It's not, it almost is doing what the deck thinks it wants to do, but it's not synergizing with the commander, which is a good lesson uh, that I'm going to take away and focused on for the new deck is really the, what do the commanders want to do if that's the theme we're trying to go with on the, on the deck we're building. Right. Um, other two, another two that I cut were Magmatic Force and Certland Flinger. Um, they're two relatively new cards, and I just didn't feel like they were adding a ton of value to to what I was trying to do. I replaced the uh, Magmatic Force with one of my favorite dragons. Um, he's a little pricey. Dracuseth, the Maw of Flames. He's four and triple red, but he is Toroff's buddy. Uh, when Dracuseth attacks, he deals four damage to any target and three damage to each of up to two other targets. So we've got this big beefy 7-7 seven, seven dragon. He attacks and you target the weakest creatures on the field to get some extra tore off damage in. So I think he was a great add. That's cool. What else did you find? I see a few other cards here that you snuck into the deck. So this one is is kind of an interesting ramp artifact. Lava Brink Floodgates. Most of the time, I, I think people are going to miss out at what this can do. So it's a tap for double red, but its text is, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player may put a Doom counter on Lava Brink Floodgates or remove a Doom counter from it. Then if it has three or more Doom counters, sacrifice Lava Brink Floodgates. When you do, it deals six damage to each creature. This thing holds the board hostage. And it kind of creates kind of some fun politicking around the board because some players are going to be willing to take to put that Doom counter on there to take that damage. Whereas other players don't want <laughs> their creatures to take the damage or they're in a position where six damage to each creature with Toroff on the board is going to kill them outright. Um, so it was kind of an, an interesting add-in because you're getting ramp and you're also building to this possibility of Toroff doing a lot of damage all out of the same card. Yeah, what's interesting with this one is it says each player. So once it hits two, it becomes a very weird threat because the person who puts a second counter on it isn't responsible for triggering it. The, the, you know, the person to their left has to make that decision. Do I let this thing explode or not? And if it comes back to you with two counters on it, you get to make that call. And that was one of the things I remember we politicked on was, do I, do I give the person to my left this power or not? And it, it balanced between one and two quite often. I don't know that it went back down to zero, but I think it just went like one, two, one, two. And then eventually somebody let it pop off because the mana ramp it gave you was just a little bit too much after about three or four turns of kind of going around the table doing this. 
Right. And I, I think it was a lot of fun. It was it was a good interactive add to the deck. Maybe not always practical. Um, if Toroff's not out, it's not it, the the secondary payoff isn't there. But still, you're still probably getting, you know, at least you're getting two of your four mana that you spent on it back before it comes back around to you. Um, you're, oh, yeah. pl- you're playing it for four, you're tapping it for two. Yeah, it pays for itself. That's really nice. Right. So I, I think that was a fun add in. Um, there were quite a few others, but those two were just were just kind of fun and, and on point with the deck. The other ones were boring and we don't really need to talk about. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little little land tweaks and a few things here and there. But so obviously there's a lot of cards in red and we don't own all of them. But if we did or if you, you know, got some money somehow, went off and bought some cards to to put into this deck, what would you go after? Where do you think you kind of try to put money in this deck at? So uh, one, I, I picked out three cards. Um, the first one is called Braid of Fire. And it's kind of interesting because it has a really fun cumulative upkeep. Instead of being a punishment, it's a positive. It's, cumul- it's, a, it's a two cost with a cumulative upkeep of add red to your mana pool. So every turn this enchantment sits out, it's continuing to add red to your mana pool. So it's kind of a fun card. It's inexpensive as far as mana cost. I think it's like a $12 card as far as dollar cost. Um, but I thought that would be kind of a neat add-in. It's relatively inexpensive, and I feel like it's going to pay for itself because nobody, most players aren't going to waste an enchantment kill on this. Yeah, especially because the mana will drain after your uh, upkeep phase. Right. So, But with instants in the deck or with those other cards we talked about earlier that lets you carry mana between phases, that's not going to matter. If you're getting two, three, four mana at your upkeep, or you know, even later five or six mana, and you are casting an instant spell right then, you are nuking the board, possibly winning the game before anybody even has a chance to know what's going on. Or worst case, it does nothing. Um, it just sits there, the mana builds up, and it phases until you're ready with that instant spell, which I think is just it's just it's fun. I right. think that's a neat card to add in. And again, it keeps it keeps this deck on that time bomb. Right. It, it keeps the game moving forward. Another dragon that I wanted to add that I don't own is the nesting dragon. She's a kind of a cheap dragon at five. She's three and two flying five, four, but she has a landfall trigger, um, which is kind of, I, I know that doesn't sound kind of right for this deck, but whenever a land enters the battlefield, she's going to create a dragon egg that has defender. But when that creature dies, it's going to create a 2-2 red dragon creature with flying that has a built-in one red mana pump. We're wiping the board, sometimes three times a game. If you can get Nesting Dragon out fairly early and get some of these eggs built up, when you're wiping the board, you're now in a position to do some damage. I just feel like that would be kind of a, a really good add-in to the deck, and it synergizes well. Um, have never really had any trouble playing lands. Um, there's, I think, 38 lands in this deck because you got to power all this expensive stuff. And the last card, Hellkite Tyrant. Um, it's four and two reds for a 6-5 flying trampler. But when the tyrant does damage to a player, you gain control of all of their artifacts. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control 20 or more artifacts, you win the game. I feel like, you know, it's never a bad idea to have another win condition. Plus, if you get Magical Christmas Land set up, 
um, as we were talking about earlier with treasures, with Dockside, with gold, he could really do a lot of work and win the game for you. Yeah, those are those are two very good cards to add. I don't know that either of them are very expensive, actually. They, they do what the deck wants to do. They give you some win cons. Nesting Dragon, I didn't think about putting that card in the deck. That is a good idea if you're nuking the board and everything's cleared out. You get to have some 2-2 two, two dragons laying around. And that may just, even just one 2-2 two, two dragon when everything else is gone is going to do something, do some damage. And you can pump it up too. Worst case, you give it four or five red mana and it becomes a 6-2 and is just going in and doing six flying damage. That's that's really good. And, and Hellkite Tyrant, you're right. Another win con. Everybody else has artifacts late in the game. Get them in there. Board wipe, play them down, get damage, win the game. That's really cool. Right. And then Nesting Dragon, you also have the ability first main you wipe the board you've created those dragons i mean you've you've got you're in position to protect yourself so i just i don't know where second main phase it's got a lot of potential yeah that's really cool all right so final rating time we're gonna try something here we're gonna kind of give all the decks a rating and we have three levels we have invest so that's the case where you're gonna buy more cards and make the deck stronger we're going to have keep, which is to say, it's not too bad. I'm going to kind of keep it where it is. Not really going to sink money into it. More just keep it on the board, play it, and add cards as I get them. Or scrap. That is obviously scrap the deck, take it apart, put the pieces somewhere else where they are in better use. So Russ, what would your final rating be on Toraf? Um, It's definitively a keep and probably an invest, but... Because it plays so well, it would be an invest slowly. Um, there's no need to go out and spend 60 bucks on it today because it's fun to play and it wins games. Right. Yeah, that's... And actually, one of the things that, that our playgroup has is a series of fast decks. And usually when we're down to the last 30 minutes of the night and somebody's like, I got I to gotta leave in 30 minutes, we say, all right, everybody give us your fast deck. And I have a red Torbrand deck. You used to play the Wizards deck. I think this sounds like this might kind of take that place because it is kind of a big mean threat. And one of the nice things I like about having decks like that is we have an agreement at the table that there is no hard feelings when we play these decks. There's almost like no rules at this point. This is we have to get in and out quickly. So get your decks in and play whatever you want to and try to win. And everybody is trying to win. It's really a lot less about politicking at that point and playing for the win. I don't know that we're at CDEDH levels, but this kind of feels like possibly that type of deck for you. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a great um, night ending game or it's, uh, you know, it's it, it would be great for that. I'd love to pull it out when we we're trying to play fast or if you, you know, I walk into the shop, I don't know um, what other people are playing. I feel like I could sit down with it and have a good game. Awesome. That's cool. And I don't know that a lot of people are going to see it coming. Obviously, the commander kind of says what the deck wants to do on it, but I don't know that it's a super popular commander, and I don't know that everybody's going to see it as a threat until it is over. So that's exciting. Um, I like the idea of this. I like the deck. I want to kind of figure out how we're dealing with the cards, because I know, as we talked about earlier, 50 of the cards are mine, 50 of the cards are yours. Uh, so we'll have to figure this out. I think that's one reason why we said, I'll just hand you everything in the deck and we can figure it out afterwards but yeah i like i'm really excited that you like this deck and that it was fun to play absolutely and uh, you did a great job so let's talk about the next great job you're gonna do yeah we'll see this is 
uh, I, I don't know if I call it a great job. It was definitely a stretch. So the next deck is Prava and Ikra Shadiki. So a partner deck. Prava wants your tokens to have big butts with a plus one, plus four only on your turn, though. And Ikra Shadiki, when one of your creatures deals combat damage to a player, you gain life equal to its toughness. So you can kind of see where the deck wants to go here. I did actually construct the deck already. There is a YouTube video out there of me constructing it. It's about an hour and a half of me taking a stack of about 200 cards and pairing it down to the, I'll say, 64 cards, 62 cards that we want in the deck and kind of where that is. And then I took that deck and I played it the next day. And so far, it played pretty well. I believe I ended up with, what was it? 32 scoot swarms and 32 soldiers by the end. Yeah. And at that point, I think everybody was ready to scoop. So that was fun. I hand it off to you. So the next episode, we'll be talking about that specific deck construction, some of the key cards that went into the deck, some of the thoughts behind it. And I do believe we are going to make this a weekly podcast. I know we had talked about doing it bi-weekly, but I think there's a lot to talk about because next week we'll talk about the construction of that deck. And then the week after we can talk about probably the alternate ways of taking that deck because that is something that came up in the construction if you watch the video we had one of our buddies pete watching along with us and he's a big fan of the aristocrat style so the question was why not go aristocrats but we'll get into that in the next couple of episodes so stay tuned uh until then how can everybody get in touch with you russ um i'm at twitter at virus 25 it's v-y-r-u-s-s-2-5 Awesome. And I am at Nag83 on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at MTG Build Tinker or send us an email at MTG Build and Tinker at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>